You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. Um, I am, I'm feeling great, man. I really am. I'm feeling super excited. I'm actually to the point, I mean, this people have been asking, is this the best draft the Packers have had? Obviously, let me throw this caveat out there immediately. Obviously, we have no idea. This entire draft class could be a complete bust. But in terms of my comfort level, with each of the picks, in terms of not just my personal like, but um, seeing a clear vision for their role in this team, um, thinking that there's a realistic possibility of not not just the early guys, but some of the mid-round guys that can legitimately contribute, and then looking at the back half of the draft and going, you know, assuming I think we've got some solid special teamers, adding in a couple guys that, you know, grew up Packer fans, or at least their mom did, seeing the team embrace these guys, you know, David Bakhtiari making Rashid Walker jokes, like one after the other mentioned, you know, after day one, the defensive guys getting all jacked up. It's just, it's just a feel good draft overall. You know what I mean? I mean, it's just, it's just glorious, but let's just run through them real quick. Round one, pick 22 linebacker Quay Walker. I think this set the tone for everybody to assume that this draft was not going to go this way. And that's kind of how you know and, and not that I need to convince Packer fans, but if there's any non-Packer fans listening, just so you know, it would be silly to assume that I'm only saying all this because I'm a Packer fan. No, it's very rare for Packer fans to enjoy a Packers draft, ever. Myself included. I Usually there is a process in which I have to convince myself that everything's going to be okay. And linebacker Quay Walker was that pick. Linebacker Quay Walker was the one pick that me and every other Packer fan said, all right, that is not what I thought. That is not what I wanted. That doesn't make sense. I don't see it. I don't understand it. I don't like it. But I'm going to try to work on understanding it. And we did. However, we followed that up with Devontae Wyatt. And obviously, some people were not fans of Devontae Wyatt. But I think the larger portion of the fan base um, was able to get past the age and off-field discretions and trust in Gutekunst and uh, in, in their staff to be able to Understand that they absolutely refuse to bring in character concern type ish, uh, type players, and so I personally am deferring to their judgment. I don't know, you know. I mean, we, to be fair, we've also had guys with no character issues that have gotten themselves into a bit of trouble. Aaron Jones is the nicest human being on planet Earth, and and regardless of what you think of how stupid certain laws may be, the guy was suspended for illegal issues, for legal issues of doing illegal things. It's not a judgment on Aaron Jones. I'm just saying. You never know when certain things are going to happen and people get tripped up. And I mean, I'll use myself as an example. I was a good kid until I decided I didn't want to be. <laughs> In the second round, pick 34, Christian Watson, another pick that got everybody super fired up. Um, again, kind of split on Christian Watson in terms of, um, and, and, you know, I'll even say, although this is true of every single prospect I had mentioned, I got to the point where I didn't know. I was excited about everybody, and I was also skeptical of everybody. But I think for the most part, Christian Watson was a very liked, very um, desired prospect among Packer fans. We ended up getting him. We did have to use for two second-round picks, which kind of stings a little bit, but uh, needed. 
because there was a run before the Packers got to where they were. And if we assume George Pickens was off their board, which maybe he wasn't, I don't know, but if we assume that, we would have had nothing. And we would have been in very serious trouble. And this whole draft probably would have been sunk because who knows when we get a wide receiver and who that would have been. So a necessary move. And at the end of the day, it's not like it's a horrible thing to have one second round pick. That is generally what everybody has every year. And if you're trying to say, yeah, but Devante, dude, you got to stop. I mean, it's like if somebody that means a lot to you passes away and leaves you like $50,000 in their will, if you measure everything up to, you know, is this worth, you know, your, your such and such life, you know, I, I can't go out and use this for a down payment on a house, $50,000, because what would you rather have, grandma or a house? You're saying you'd rather have a house? That's sick. That's disgusting. No, dude, it's about... Try to do the best possible thing you can with the thing you've been given. In other words, follow the exact same process you always follow in the draft. Take the best player available. That's what they did. Moving on. In the third round, pick 92, we took tackle, soon to be guard, Sean Ryan out of UCLA. The type of of guy that I've really been screaming for. And I mentioned it before when I talked about Quay Walker, where I like kind of the bigger, hard-hitting you know, tackle throwing as opposed to tackle shedding or block shedding um, linebackers. But I understand what the NFL wants is speed. Well, we're to the point now where size and speed are becoming the same thing, and Quay Walker is that guy. That's kind of Sean Ryan also. If you look at his build, he does not look um, athletic. He looks like, well, the kind of guard that I've been begging for. Guy that's just built to, to just bulldoze. And he is. He is a elite run blocker. But in all reality, he's also quite athletic, and he actually fits the thresholds that the Packers have set for offensive linemen, which, interestingly enough, hasn't changed over the years. It's not like uh, Matt LaFleur is demanding athletic uh, linemen, whereas we never used to. No, this whole draft a tackle and make him a guard thing, this has been the Packers thing forever. I mean, not literally, but you know what I mean. As long as I've ever been paying attention to what the heck the Packers do as far as their preferences for offensive linemen, which goes only as far back as Ted Thompson, but still, this is it. This is what we do. But um, generally, when you're taking the more athletic types, you get some great pass blockers, and the Packers have had some great pass blockers, but sometimes you kind of struggle with run blockers. Not always. We've had some of those really good ones too, but um, this is a guy that is built to run block that just happens to be really athletic and a good pass blocker. So I'm excited about Sean Ryan. He's not the guy I'm most excited about, but I think the biggest thing I'm excited about is that there's a clear vision, and I genuinely think he wins the job. He's a right guard. That's what he is. He's a good enough pass blocker that is going to just road grade right guard. And by the way, yes, uh, on the docket today is to reach out to a lot of people and ask them to help me out with things. There were several people I was supposed to ask to be on the stream. I said I was going to have three Bears guys. Two of them I just didn't reach out to, and I feel really guilty about that. There's a couple, I just, it was pandemonium. Like I said, the way that the stream went, went very different than I expected. It was better than I expected, but it went very different. So I have several apologies to send out, but then ask if they can come back on. Um, But also on top of asking for those guests, we need Sam Holman to give us some breakdowns on these guys. We need uh, Coach Hahn to give us some offensive line breakdowns because we did in fact triple up, but we'll get to that point in a minute. After Sean Ryan, we got maybe everybody's new favorite prospect which is a great thing, by the way. Um, In the fourth round, pick 132, we took wide receiver 
Romeo Dobbs out of Nevada, which I believe that is how you say his name. I've been saying Dobbs because it's phonetic, although it, I assumed that was not it. Usually he's referred to as Romeo Dubs. In fact, through when I watched his college football film, a lot of people were calling him Dubs. But I believe it's Dobbs. That is what um, Jake Shavink, our draft guy, was doing the stream with us yesterday. He said he was listening to the press conference, and he said it was Dobbs, and that was kind of unfortunate because we were hoping it would be Dubs because that would be the best way to possibly say that. But lots of love for him all over Twitter today. Packer fans are very convinced that, um, I mean, first of all, my opinion is he is a guy that it, that they believe strongly can contribute on special teams. I mean, this is a returner. But it's one of those things where we believe that that is your your main contribution. But obviously, and I've said this before, the Packers, I don't think, ever draft guys that they know you cannot contribute um, on offense or defense. Like, you're useless. But you'll be a great special teamer. Well, with the exception of long snappers and punters and <laughs> those guys. Generally, there's at least a little bit of hope. And I actually think, especially with the situation with the wide receiver room being as in flux, Romeo Dubs, Dobbs, excuse me, I think really does have a great um, opportunity to be a really big role player for this offense. As much as is up in the air right now, I mean, who, who do we know is going to dominate on this offense? Crickets, right? I mean, Alan Lazard is the guy we feel the most comfortable with. And I like Alan Lazard, but he's a role player. If he can just come in and, and understand the offense and make Aaron Rodgers and Matt LaFleur comfortable with his abilities on the field, he's going to go out there and he's going to play, and there's just a good chance that he has a big role. Entirely possible that he doesn't play hardly at all and everybody's wrong, but um, there is that. So, uh, again, a lot of excitement about him. I like him. I have to go back and watch a little bit more. Again, i just been going through and just binging mostly highlights just for fun, just to kind of get caught up on what it is they do best, which is what I, you know, again, I, I know people laugh at the whole highlights thing, but I think that's, again, it's a tool, like everything else. They're, they're, you can use them as tools. And I think if you want to just quickly get caught up on what it is you do best, that's what you do. It's not the best evaluation tool overall, but it is a really good, hey, let's get caught up on what it is this guy does best. And so that's what I've been doing. Then in round four, pick 40, we have, um, I think, my favorite pick. This is, um, you know, it, based on positional value at the very least, uh, tackle, quote unquote, Zach Tom out of Wake Forest. Um, I've been banging the drum on Zach Tom since we did that episode where I went through SIS stuff. And Zach Tom was at the top of every single list, every single list. And then he started flying up the boards. And my whole thing was, I thought he was going to go first round. I really did. I thought somebody was going to take Zach Tom in the first round because he started flying up the board. He became a second round prospect through this process. I mean, for, for some people, for other people, not quite so much. But I, I, I thought it was going to be like that guard the Patriots took in the first round. I thought he was going to sneak in somewhere and everybody's going to say that was stupid. And I'm like, no, dude, you don't get it. And then I think Goose had made some kind of a comment about maybe we can get him in the second round. I'm like, yeah, you think he's going to be available? I don't think so. And then we didn't get him in the third round. And then I, I, I'll have to find it. I'm positive at some point when we're waiting to see who this next fourth round pick was going to be, and everybody went through and said who they wanted it to be, I said Zach Tom, obviously, because I've been wanting this guy for a while. And when they took him, I was able to announce the pick, fortunately, and I was just, I was just beyond excited. Then last night, I went back and watched him, and I watched him, and I watched him, and I watched him. And of all the guys that are here, everybody you watch, especially when you're watching highlights, it's like, oh, yeah, that's pretty good. You know, Ro Romeo Dobbs, like, yeah, dude, that was sweet. Sean Ryan, dude, nice, powerful hands, like, just throwing, just dragging guys to the ground. I dig. Zach Tom, though, I'm watching him, and it's like, this, he gave me chills. Bottom line. 
And again, I don't know. I, I don't know what I'm watching. Coach Hawn, I'm sure, is going to break my heart and be like, yeah, he struggles with this, 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 but he's fine. And that's just going to crush me. But I'm telling you, when I watched the guy, I, I was just stunned. The speed that he plays with, I mean, watching him go from block to block was, was staggering to me. And, and you got to understand, Sean Ryan is a, is a pure right side of the line guy, as I've said. Put him on the right side and let him just bludgeon people. Zach Tom was built to be on the left side of the line, whether that's left tackle or left guard. And I, I really think Zach Tom has that versatility to be like, no, 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 let's try him at tackle and see what he can do. Obviously, he's not taking David Bakhtiari's spot. Maybe you could try him at right tackle. But at the end of the day, this guy is, you put him on the left side of the line at left guard, watching what he did, where he, he, you know, fundamentally sound like real quick getting into a guy. And then, you know, somebody else is firing off the line and he can disengage and boom, he's in that guy's chest and just blows him up. I mean, just how quickly he moves from spot to spot and he, he's into one block, disengages, engages with somebody else. And just how quickly, how, how, how perfectly synced and timed it is with the offense so that as he switches to the other guy, the running back just goes right behind him. I mean, it's just, I don't know, man. I was geeking out about Zach Tom, and, and we'll go through some of those SIS stats again um, because they get real granular with uh, a lot of the cool stuff that they look at. But I remember when we went through it, just because I wanted to show you some of the stats that they had, Zach Tom was just at the top of every single list. It was like, who? The, I don't know who this dude is, but apparently he's very good at everything. Um, anyways, moving on. That, that, that is my draft crush. Um, I think maybe the next most popular pick. So Romeo Dobbs is extremely popular. If it's not Dobbs among the fan base, it's Kingsley and Igbare. And to be fair, I've been really high on Kingsley and Igbare, I think for the same reason as Zach Tom. Um, I've been a little skeptical though, because even though we got him late, he was even lower. Um, he was kind of low. It was, it was one of those things where I'm looking at his ability as a pass rusher and saying something's wrong with him. Because when I look at his pass rush ability and when you sort by pass rush ability, Kingsley Anibare is like the best pass rusher in this entire draft class. He's top one, two, three, and just about everything. And so the whole draft process, I've been looking at this guy going, I don't know what's wrong with him. Something's wrong with him. Because... <laughs> the dude dominates as a pass rush. And then he fell even further than he was supposed to fall. Like he, he's like a maybe third-ish round guy, sec, you know, second round, probably late second, early third type of pass rusher. And I'm looking at it going, I don't know. So he must be broken because what I see, this guy is like the, the pass rusher in this group. And then he doesn't go in the second round. And then he doesn't go in the third round. And then he doesn't go in the fourth round. And then he doesn't go in the fifth round. And that, I mean, if you listen to our draft stream, Every five minutes, somebody going, is, is Kingsley Inigbari still available? Every five minutes, is he seriously still available? So obviously on the stream, when we took him in the sixth round, pick 179, another eruption, which was the best part about this stream. There were so many times we exploded. You watch us, and I'm, I'm posting these, these clips tomorrow. I don't know when I'm going to get clips about these later round prospects because it was a six and a half hour stream and trying to find those is going to be tough. If anybody's bored and is going to go back and watch that, uh, shoot me some some uh, timestamps, all right? Just in general, of any of the three days, if you ever see any of the videos and you're like, oh, that was funny, you should timestamp that, just shoot it to me. I'll make a video out of it. But uh, Devontae Wyatt, Christian Watson, uh, Sean Ryan a little bit, um, Dobbs, I was excited about Zach Tom, and then Kingsley and Igbari, another eruption. But again, the, the exciting thing is you can see a path. And even if you're saying, yeah, the problem with Kingsley, though, is he's way too one-dimensional. He's, he's a situational pass rusher. You put him in on you know third down, and you let him hunt the quarterback. He's really useless outside of that. I'm looking dead in your face and saying, we got that in the sixth round. You're telling me that's what this guy is, and we just stole him in the sixth round? I don't give a crap. 
<laughs> I bet we can't. You stop the run. I don't care. The dude is like Kyler Fackrell, but if Kyler Fackrell was, I mean, he's, he's, he's Preston Smith, but a Kyler Fackrell run defender. Okay. And I only say Preston Smith because I'm trying to not be too hyperbolic here, saying he's Rashawn Gary. But I mean, I'm, I'm just saying he's, and it's South Carolina. I'm not talking about Tulsa. I'm not saying he's an elite pass rusher at some school that doesn't play anybody. South Carolina is a big program that plays some big competition. Just to give you some some context here, Alex Wright, you know I've been banging that drum for the exact same reason. He dominates pretty much every metric, but also pass rush stuff. But um, Kingsley Enangbari, I think is, I, I got to figure out how to say his name because I've been saying it wrong. I got to learn that. Just like Dobbs and everybody else on this team now. But he is second on this list. Uh, behind Alex Wright in win percentage with 39.2%. 39.5 is Alex Wright. He's at 39.2. Just for context, I put everything on a scale out of 10. It's a 9.11 out of 10 is 39.2 win percentage. Now, he does have a 6.16 RAS, so he's not like elite athleticism. His run defense is just kind of bad. But again, as as far as his metrics out of 10, pass rush grade 9.48, pressure percentage 8.53, 29%. That's true pass sets, so that's why it's so high. Meaning one-on-one opportunities, he's getting there like like 30% of the time. So, you know, uh, I, I, again, if we had gotten him earlier, it's kind of like, eh, it's kind of scary because he's maybe a little bit one-dimensional. We'll see how it goes. Sixth round, a guy that we know can get to the quarterback. I don't care if he can't do one other thing. I mean, we rotate our edge rushers, right? Plus, the other thing is, it's like, well, on third and 10, you want Preston and Rashawn, so that's kind of useless. We saw Kingsley line up right over the nose on some of these things. So, so he's a versatile guy that you can move around the line of scrimmage, which is really exciting. So he kind of fits in that way as well. It's funny, because when you think about like pass rush specialists, you think about guys like Nick Benito. My assumption when I saw Kingsley and Igbari is that the guy is going to be like 245 pounds, you know, one of those guys that's really small and slender. He is not. He's a, he's a thick boy. <laughs> so anyways, then we get into the seventh round. Uh, the Packers ended up trading back in the sixth and still got freaking Kingsley, which is ridiculous. But we ended up getting four seven, seventh round picks. Safety Tariq Carpenter. Uh, the rumor on Tariq, or not the rumor, this comes directly from our GM, I believe is that he's kind of a tweener, so he can play either safety or linebacker because he is a massive safety. Six foot three, 230, I believe. But I think we all understand he's probably largely a see if you can win on special teams guy, and then we'll go from there. Which, I mean, it's fun. Just when you watch his highlights, and he is fun to watch. I mean, again, 6'3", 230, every single one of his highlights is just him just smoking people. And granted, seventh round pick, I mean, the, the, the problem is it's a little bit slower. If you're watching first round picks that smoke people, it's like a flash on the screen and then people get lit up. It takes him a little bit longer to get there. But when he does, mass times acceleration, he's heavy on the mass side. Even if the acceleration isn't quite there, the explosion is just the same. <laughs> the violence of the hit is still still up there. So that was fun to watch. Um, and you just picture that on special teams, you know, give him a little bit more build up speed. I think that could be fun. We'll, we'll see if he can do it. You know, he's still got to be able to, to take the right angles and get off blocks and, and get down there and, and bring the guy down. But that can be a, a fun contribution. Um, Jonathan Ford is a defensive tackle out of Florida. We took next in the seventh round. When you look at the fact that he's like 240 pounds and some people are sending clips out there of this dude just with tree trunk legs and everything else, it's like this guy's just going to be, you know, he's just this massive guy that you can't move around. But 
go watch him. He doesn't look that big. He's one of those guys that's so, first of all, so tall, but also just, I think, thick framed that he kind of carries it really well. I think if you watched him play and, and somebody told you he was 310 pounds, 308 pounds, you'd probably believe it. And although he's clearly just a nose tackle, it's not as like embarrassingly, ridiculously, like just stand there and don't move on double teams as you would expect. The guy, the guy makes some moves. He gets behind the line of scrimmage. He kind of dives to make tackles and he does all that stuff. Um, and defensive tackle is weird. It's one of those positions I've told you it's, it's important you get it in the first round, but it's also one of the few positions that in the seventh round, I bet you can get somebody. Running back, and we've, we've had some people that I just, I really like that we've taken late. Um, not exactly Hall of Famers, but um, some guys that I've really liked. First of all, Jonathan Garvin. I know he's a pass rusher, but that was a seventh round pick. Dude is our number three pass rusher, and he's kind of like, we're kind of fine with him. Uh, James Looney. I like Looney. He was a seventh round pick. You know, I mean, you can get contributors. Who is, there's one guy I'm really trying to find, though, that I, I, I really liked. He didn't do very much, but I was a huge fan. The heck was it? Maybe it was the sixth round? Am I missing something? It was the sixth round. Christian Ringo. I liked Christian Ringo a lot. It's a sixth-round pick. Just a big, mean dude, man. He's not very athletic, but he's, he's strong. I liked Ringo. I don't know. I like our late-round defensive tackle picks. Defensive line picks, I guess. Like I said, James Looney, I was fine with Looney. Better than the long snapper, we took one pick later, Hunter Bradley, just saying. I mean, really, I, look at the running backs and, and defensive linemen compared to, like, every other seventh-round pick that we've taken. It's just, it doesn't even compare. Malachi Dupree at wide receiver, he didn't play. Hunter Bradley was bad. Ty Summers, I know some people can't let that go, but that's not a thing. Vernon Scott can't get on the field. You got Jonathan Garvin, you got Kylan Hill. Running backs and defensive line, man, that's my thing. Anyways, we followed that up with um, tackle Rashid Walker out of Penn State, another guy that fell mightily, um, depending on what board you're looking at. Rashid Walker should have been gone a long time ago. Um, in fact, what was I looking at? They were doing the draft grades, which somebody kind of did it honestly, I guess you would say, and kind of just looked at um, draft value based on consensus big boards. And I think Rashid Walker was the number one pick in terms of going way later than everybody anticipated. Now, again, full disclosure, that doesn't mean great pick. All draft grades mean is which team drafted the players that we were all the most wrong about. That's really what the draft grades are. So if you got, for example, the, uh, well, I I guess it depends on who does the draft grades, but generally that's what you're talking about. And for that reason, the Packers are going to do quite well. And I have a theory on that we're going to get to just a minute. But the final pick, and by the way, the, the, the role of Rasheed Walker, I think that one is, is as much as a lot of this is special team stuff, and it certainly could be. And Jonathan Ford is kind of the same thing. A, a lot of people are looking at it saying this, this is a, like one of the cla- his claims of fame, I think, is like blocking a kick. And uh, he did a lot of punt blocking. So it's like, oh, yeah, we, we know your role, dude, for sure. Um, although it could be that, I also think it could just be a swing on a guy that, that has a lot of potential. Um, people were surprised how far he fell. I wasn't because he was really low on my board, which means at least last year, his metrics were not great because that's all my board is. It's, it's just a compilation of metrics and he was quite low. So that's the reason he fell, but that doesn't mean that what everybody else is seeing isn't promising. So I, I kind of think this is sort of a, Hey, it's a seventh round. Let's swing for the fences kind of thing and see if maybe he can do something. And, and, you know, 
Everybody understands the Green Bay Packers record. Everybody understands their reputation with offensive linemen. Everybody understands it. The Packers always have great offensive lines, and a lot of it has to do with just taking mid to late round guys, having elite offensive line coaches to get the apps. I mean, if there's anything there to be had, the Packers are going to get it out of them. And it is funny, and Blaine just reminded me of that um, last night or this morning or whatever. The, just how annoyed people get every time we draft an offensive lineman. And I remember that from last year. I don't know if it was which offensive lineman pick, lineman pick it was, but it is becoming an every single draft experience where we take an offensive lineman in the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round, and everybody rolls their eyes and just says, oh, great, another Pro Bowl guard for the Packers. But it's true. I mean, we, we get guys that, that are good fits for us that have upside and potential that could maybe potentially be that guy. And if they got it, they got it. And we've always, I mean, you know, again, Runyon and Royce Newman and all these guys, you know, I don't know what their ceiling is. Royce isn't super blowing anybody's socks off, but he started for us for a long time and we, we were able to still go out and win football games. And if he doesn't get any better, he's going to be off the team soon because we just drafted three more offensive linemen to come in and compete on top of the guys that we've been drafting every single year over and over and over that are continually getting better. And, you know, I, I, as I've been saying, I love it. They're, they're the, the only, as I've said a thousand times, put it on a freaking t-shirt. I'm the only one that would buy it or wear it, but the only thing the offense can do is run and pass, and you can't do either of those without an offensive line. I don't understand why more teams don't prioritize offensive line the way the Packers do, but I guess ultimately I don't care. The Packers know it's important. They've always cared about it. They, they, they care slightly differently, whereas back in the day it was just pass blocking. Whereas now it's like just pass blocking, but also it'd be great if you could throw people around. But ultimately, kind of talking about the same thing. But I love it. I, I love that they will continually do this. And we, we almost never have to expend premium picks on offensive line because we take three swings every single draft. And every year, if one of those guys ends up being decent enough, you're always going to have a good offensive line. You got a, a new starter every year? Heck yeah. And as things started to get a little bit gloomy, you know, we're, we're losing more guys than we're gaining. It's getting a little scary. We started taking a little bit more premium. You know, we go second round with Elton Jenkins. That was a freaking home run. Then we go second round on Josh Myers to be determined. But obviously, as I've said, the, if you listen to the Packers offensive line coaches, they are beyond excited about that guy. He didn't get to play very much. He was injured, all that stuff, but they love him. And then this year, again, I'm, I'm Sean Ryan and Zach Tom, I, I, Listen, it's entirely possible these guys are just not great and they don't play. I don't know. But I would almost borderline be surprised if Zach Tom isn't our left guard and Sean Ryan isn't our right guard. That just feels like it's what it's going to be. With a slight outside shot that Zach Tom actually plays tackle for us. And then again, you got Rasheed Walker. Maybe. But anyways, finally, we got Samori Toure, wide receiver out of Nebraska. He's six foot 191. Uh, PFF had him listed at 6'3". They must not have updated that. That that was one of the guys that comes in and measures, and everyone's like, what the heck? But um, see, this is the other, there's so many conflicting... I'm, I'm looking at... PFF says he's 6'3", 190. Then I go over to his RAS, and it says he runs a 4'4", But if you look at uh, the the Beast, um, scouting guide or whatever, 6'191", ran a 4'4", at his pro day. He was not invited to the combine. That's that's decent speed, man. 6'7", 7'3", cone? Remember, for a wide receiver, seven is like the standard. Six, seven, seven, three cone. Pronounced Samori Toure. Kind of as you would expect, but just so you know. But um, just kind of another swing, man. But that's that's it. That's the draft class. Now, I, I want to give one thought, and it's going to be a little bit of a buzzkill, but it's just, it's just a thought. 
Again, still love the draft. I love the draft class, and there's every reason to be excited about it. But I have one thought before we take a break. I don't think it's a coincidence that at the same time that we are quote-unquote all-in, and at the same time that we acknowledge that the Packers have a, have a very short window, the Packers have a quote-unquote great draft. I actually think that's not a coincidence at all. And I think this all ties into to my revelation about age and sort of that bell curve. And, and, and generally what you do is you get the 21-year-old guy that has not yet reached their potential. You get a guy like Rashawn Gary because of his physical tools and because he's young and because you know that you get him in here, if he's not even going to peak until he's 23, 24, we've got two, three years to work on this guy before he hits his peak. 25, I don't know. Whereas if you're getting guys that have already peaked, they come in, they're, they're, they're maybe a little bit more pro-ready, but there's nowhere to go. And, and they may just completely bust out because you've got that a, a immediate drop-off um, from college to the NFL. I mean, your, your ability to compete. So if you come to the NFL and you can't hack it, the odds that you're going to get much better are, are lessened. But here's sort of my thought. We love a lot of these picks because these are guys that show up on tape and, and win already, right? Everybody's stunned by Kingsley and Igbari. Why did he fall so far? Because of his massive production in college. The Packers took high-production guys, guys that can go on the field today and win. Now, there's questions about Christian Watson a little bit, but at the very least, again, what is what are people saying about Christian Watson on day one? At the very least, he can be MVS day one, and they know they can scheme stuff to him day one. He might have higher potential later, but at the end of the day, he really is a guy that gives you a lot on day one. It's just maybe not as a true number one. Quay Walker, day one. Devontae Wyatt, day one. Sean Ryan, day one. Romeo uh, Dobbs. Special teamer, potential contributor day one. Zach Tom, day one. Kingsley Anikbari, day one. Seventh round, I don't know. I think generally the Packers get really bad grades because they draft projects. They draft high upside guys that they know are not going to contribute day one. In fact, if you watch the Packers, the reason Packer fans get so mad and they say, see, he's a bust, is because the Packers don't even give these guys the time of the day the first year that, that they're on the field. Guys like Amari Rogers didn't even get a chance or an opportunity, and nobody cared. Amari is a guy that's going to slowly come along, and, and in year two, we'll, we'll slowly... Year one, you get a taste. But again, we don't have time to teach you this offense. I don't have time to sit here and try to scheme ways for you, to get you involved, because I don't care. We're, we're trying to win a Super Bowl here. I don't have time to baby you along. I said that with A.J. Dillon. Same thing. Everybody said he's a bust. He was a bad pick, and then he didn't play because he's a bust. No, he didn't play because we've already got running backs. His role is to slowly come along and learn the offense. And then in year two, you get a little bit more time. You know, I've got the offseason to kind of figure out how to get you more involved. And you've had an entire year to learn the offense. We can start to actually make you a legitimate part of this offense now. Same with Rashawn Garrett. I mean, Rashawn was the exact same thing. Nobody liked the pick and then he didn't play. See, bad pick and now he's not playing. He didn't play because we already have pass rushers. This guy doesn't understand his role and his assignment yet. He's raw. We're working on it. And now look at him. Down the line, over and over and over and over, this is what the Packers have done. And again, they've proven the media wrong over and over and over again. And the fact that the media is gushing isn't because, well, the Packers finally got it right. No, it's, I think it's because the Packers changed the way that they're doing things. They need less projects over two, three years and more instant impact. And that's what they went for this year. They could get this draft every year. They could easily take the guys highest on the board, the guys with super elite high production in college that everybody loves because they watch the tape, quote unquote, controversial term these days, or study the film or whatever stupid thing. But I mean, it's easy to pick out guys with high uh, contribution numbers, right? 
any any idiot can do that, and and I think that's what the media largely and 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 people that do this on the side largely are. The next level, though, are finding guys that that have the tools that we look for in an offensive lineman that maybe haven't put it together yet. That have the tools as a pass rusher that maybe haven't put it together yet. But man, give me give me a couple years with this guy, he's going to be great. That's what makes a team great, and and I think a lot of teams have that ability, but choose not to. I think a lot of teams love to draft this way. Because just give me the contributors now. I don't care if they're at their ceiling. That's fine. Because next year we get another draft. And next year we get another draft. And we'll just be recycling guys over and over again. Or whatever their thought process or reasoning is. But I just I just generally think that's not the way the Packers do business. And I think this year they're changing it up because Aaron Rodgers will not be here forever. And they've changed the way they're doing things. And they're looking for guys that are going to help us win a Super Bowl today. Which is what most fans want. And I keep trying to tell you that's not how this works. But this draft class in particular, I think that may be the case. And even on a case-by-case basis, if you look at wide receiver, we don't have a choice. We don't have a choice but to force these guys, right? If you look at like Amari, where we had the luxury of saying, just go sit it out for a year. That luxury doesn't exist anymore. They have to find ways to get Christian Watson involved. Partially because we had a high second round pick on him, and you can't just let that guy sit on the bench. But partially because we need a guy. We need him to be a big impact player. He doesn't need to be Devontae, obviously. He doesn't even need to be necessarily the number one, but he needs a big role in this offense. And we need Alan Lazard to be a big role in this offense. And we need uh, Sammy Watkins to have a role in this offense. And we need Dubs, Dobbs, Dobbs, Dibby Dubs. What, what, what should I call him? I could call him Romeo, but that doesn't, that doesn't feel right. I wish his name was something like Brian or something. I'd call him B-Dubs. Even though it's Dobbs and not Dubs, it would still be like B-Dubs. I can't call him one of them. R-Dubs? R-Dog? No, that's, R, R doesn't work with anything. Call him Roto? <laughs> Roto Rooter? I don't know. But you, you, you got to find ways to make it work. Same with offensive line, I think. We need the offensive line to get better. Get, get in there. Now, I think that's going to naturally sort itself out because we got such a pile of talent. And we've done this the last couple of years, but you just throw them in there and say, just go win a job. And they do. And it sorts itself out and it's a beautiful process. Devontae Wyatt, he doesn't have a choice. He, 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 yeah, he needs to get in there and win. And again, he's an older guy. We don't draft older guys. Why did they make an exception this time? Well, partially because his talent is worth it, but partially because... I don't care that you're at your ceiling because so are we. We're 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 done in a couple years here, and I you know not to be dramatic. I mean maybe maybe next year we get into quarterback and we keep this thing running for a couple. Years. I don't know, but the point is, um, I'm 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 okay with a guy that's that's peaked. I'm okay with a guy that what you see on field is as good as it's going to get, and he doesn't really have too much more room to grow. I'm sure he's got some, and obviously our defensive line coach is going to be able to do a ton to refine this and refine that. You can do that with everybody. I'm sure Kenny Clark is still learning and growing and refining and all that stuff. But the, the point is there, there isn't this massive amount of growth that's still available. I think we're looking for guys that are ready today. Quay is going to play today. I had to throw today in there because, you know, it rhymes. So I, 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 I really believe that's what we're seeing. The reason the Packers finally had a good draft, which again is a stupid way to do it. The Packers historically draft well all the time. It just takes several years, right? The, the, what everybody that isn't an idiot already knows is it takes three to four years before you can actually judge a draft class, but we refuse to do that. After two years, it's, been, it's pretty clear that the Packers had a good draft, but by that point, everybody just completely ignores it because the only thing that matters is instant analysis, and then we just forget everything, and then we come back around. And so everybody's recollection of the Packers is they always draft poorly. No, they actually always draft quite well. I'm not going to say best. I'm sure there's other teams that do much better, but they do a good job. They just generally get developmental players that do develop over time. Jair took time. Rashawn took time. All these guys, they take a little bit of time, but man, when they hit, they freaking hit. And I just think this is different. I think they got high production guys that can play today, and that's why you get what you get.
which is which is which is great. I mean, again, it's a little bit of a buzzkill, maybe depending on how you take the information. But also, it doesn't have to be. I mean, if you're a guy that's that's upset that the Packers don't get instant impact players immediately, I do think this is going to be a different draft, and I think that's on purpose. I think they're going against the grain. I think they're doing what they generally don't want to do. I think this is not the draft class they would have done if they had a 25 year old, you know, young. If we had Pat Mahomes or uh, Josh Allen, this is not the draft we would have had. But we have Aaron Rodgers with a year or two or maybe three left, and they need guys that are going to play today and tomorrow and the next day years, you know. So enjoy it. I mean, again, it's it's the the only gloomy side of it is the fact that these are not necessarily the best possible picks in terms of long-term projection, if I'm right. And it points to a team that is that is seeing the end, the, the end of the tunnel here. But again, the, the good news is we're putting together a juggernaut for today. And that's something you can get excited about. Why don't we go ahead and take a break? Uh, if and you wouldn't mind, check out the pinned tweet on my Twitter We're going to help Drew get his seizure service dog. He was diagnosed with epilepsy and is trying to get some help with that. And we've been trying to raise money for him for quite a long time. We were able to actually close out our last GoFundMe, which is glorious. We got $10,000 raised. Trying to get $7,440 for Drew. We're up to $4,487. We're getting very, very close. If you want to help me out personally, pin to the top of the Packernet Podcast Facebook group, I am trying to raise money to get an SIS subscription. It really is just to upgrade this here podcast that you're listening to. Um, looking to raise 1500 although, again, they promoted some kind of a big discount, which would bring it down to like 1000 So I'm kind of hoping that's still a thing so we can close this out early. But we're at $605, which we just started this four days ago, and we had 600 yesterday. So in three days, technically, we got $600. So absolutely awesome. Um, if we get to that thousand mark, I'm going to check and see if I can get it for that. And then we'll just close this out and be done. But uh, we got to get there first. But anyways, uh, otherwise, A Modern Frontier, great place to buy some meat. Use promo code MEATPACKER, one word, all caps. That's amodernfrontier.com. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card. But with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So I've already talked about it a couple times, but uh, before I get too far into it, um, starting off the second segment, I just want to say thank you to everybody that tuned in to the live stream over the three days. It was a heck of a grind. Um, And then a special thank you to everybody that joined me on the live stream that made it much more enjoyable than um, probably any draft I've ever watched. Um, JJ and Clayton were there. They were kind of expected to be the... um, the main co-hosts of the show, but then we kind of just let everybody else in, and it was just a blast. We were all just hanging out. Jacob was there. Goose was there. Goose was probably my uh, 
probably the main guy that was there. If, if I had to guess who was there the second longest after me, it would probably be Goose. But uh, again, we had Jake on yesterday. Thanks to Blaine for hanging out and uh, keeping things ridiculous. Thanks to Sam, who was there um, pretty much the whole time, providing some great insights. Coach Hahn stopped by. Thanks to Dusty Evely for stopping in. Tyler Herrick gave us about five minutes of his time. Appreciate that. Thanks to the boys from Packers Without Borders, who I want to talk about them in just a minute. But they swung by and uh, kept it fun. And we also had Jordan um, Silvera from the Barroom Network talking about the Bears a little bit. So um, I'm sure I'm missing somebody. It's probably one of the main people that I'm just blanking on. But just wanted to be able to say uh, thank you to everybody because that was a lot of fun. Looks like the first episode was three hours and 36 minutes. Day two was four hours and 29 minutes. And then yesterday was six hours and 58 minutes. So seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, about 15 total hours over three days. Good times. Um, I, I wanted to talk, I mentioned I wanted to talk about Packers Without Borders. I was listening to their podcast yesterday, the greatest Packers podcast online or whatever it is they say, something like that. And it just raised a couple um, thoughts, I guess. And it's going to be kind of hard for me to make this all flow because it's very like clunky. There's like this thought over here and this way over here. And if I do a really good job, it's going to flow nicely. But I doubt I'm going to be able to do that. The one that's kind of floating out there by itself, they were talking about um, our defense and the excitement about the guys that we got and um, had raised the question, who is our worst defensive player? And it's funny because my first thought went immediately to Darnell Savage. And I thought, that's not it. Because that's impossible that Darnell Savage is the biggest liability we have on this defense. And so I didn't put a lot of brain power into it. I just kind of, you know, I'm listening to a podcast. I'm trying to do other stuff. I'll let them say it. And they came out and said, probably Darnell Savage. And then it really started to, to I really started to dig. <laughs> because that feels impossible. And you got to understand, I, I, my understanding of what they're saying and what I'm primarily talking about, we're talking about starters. I'm not, I'm not including Vernon Scott into the equation here. And I understand that you could say, well, you know, that that was last year. Or what, what, but, but that's kind of where we're headed. We're kind of headed in that direction of we don't know exactly what's going to happen next year. But if we base this information on, on, on our defense right now, our defense at this moment, and, and you could potentially say Reed, maybe, I think would be a fair assessment. Technically, via PFF, Savage had a 58 overall grade. Sharon Reed was a 54. If we're assuming he's a starter, if you're saying Lowry is the starter, he had a 66 overall grade. And if you replace Reed, I know Lowry is like, he's the worst person ever. He's got to go. Well, again, based on the grades, not quite. In fact, his grade was actually higher than Eric Stokes with a 65. Anyways, it's, it's not really worth arguing about who's the worst because the, the point of what we're saying here is that the most shocking thing is the worst player you can point to on this defense is a guy that you probably, at the very worst, don't mind. When you look at the weakest parts of this defense, you're talking about Jerron Reed. You're talking about Eric Stokes. You're talking about Darnell Savage. Good Lord. Now, I want to kind of circle back to a different conclusion on that in a minute, but continuing on from that, I want to try to piggyback that into this whole draft grade conversation and, and this, these arguments about, um, you know, for example, I, I had put out there that the reason it's ridiculous to talk about great value is because we refuse to let go of the concept that we were maybe wrong about something. If we had a first, if, if we assumed somebody was a first round prospect and they fell to the third round, for, for seemingly 60% of the, the draft fan community, there is this inability to detach what we thought we knew 
for the last several months and what appears to be reality. And so we look at it and say, that team got a steal. Everyone else is an idiot. And in fact, the team that drafted him is still an idiot because you should have taken him in the second round. If you watched our stream, for example, we got excited about guys like Zach Tom. We got excited about guys like Kingsley Enigbare. But the main question that we asked on the stream was, why did they fall? Something is clearly wrong with them. Our assumption isn't there's something wrong with these NFL teams for being so stupid. How do they not know what we all know? Duh. But as I got into that argument, generally the counterpoint is, yeah, well, teams get stuff wrong all the time too. That's true. But again, you're, you're just refusing to acknowledge the very obvious reality. Because what is the more reasonable expectation? We missed something or 32 NFL pro personnel staffs missed something. Staffs that are loaded with the absolute best of the best, not only in evaluation, but in um, information. We're talking about dozens and dozens of human beings on each of these 32 teams that not only spent hours and hours and hours grinding tape, which you pretend you do, but you don't, on every single one of these prospects, but has met with them in person, has shaken hands with not only the player, but their coaches and their teammates, and has asked about these guys. We have literal security staffs that do background checks on these guys. We have teams of doctors that do medical evaluations on these players. And because you watch two YouTube videos and have have read 65,000 mock drafts, you think you know. Again, yes, NFL teams get things wrong, but that's kind of beside the point. It's entirely possible that Quay Walker was the right pick and N'Kobe Dean was the wrong pick, even where he got value, where, where he was picked. It's possible Quay Walker is going to by far be the best linebacker in football, and N'Kobe Dean is going to be out of the league in three years. It's also possible that what the league got wrong wasn't guys like Quay Walker or guys like N'Kobe Dean that got, or guys that fell or guys that went too early. Maybe the stuff they got wrong is the stuff that you thought they got right. Maybe Aiden Hutchinson was a terrible pick. The, the point is, yes, they get stuff wrong, but that doesn't mean you're getting things right. The best information is what we just saw. Where these guys went is the best possible ranking of how good they are. A lot of that is going to be wrong, but it has nothing to do with your evaluation. But here's the the real reason I want to bring this up, because there is some truth to what they're saying, that NFL teams get things wrong, because it kind of, if you really get down to it, it leaves us in this state of realizing that we actually don't know anything. We all get hyped up about these things, but we, do, we have no idea from the first round, second round, third round, fourth round, fifth round, sixth round, seventh round, some of these guys are going to be great, some of these guys are going to be terrible, and we have no idea which one's which. This could be a great draft class for the Packers. This could be a horrific draft class for the Packers. But considering that is the reality, and again, you have the ability to fan however you want to fan. This is my podcast, and so I'm going to give my perspective. I personally see no reason not to be optimistic. Being a fan of an NFL team is about having fun. It's about enjoyment, and it's about ultimately cheering for your team, supporting your team. And I cannot for the life of me understand fans that want to constantly complain 24-7. You should have gotten a wide receiver earlier. You should have done this. You shouldn't have done that. You know, questions about why didn't you get a wide receiver earlier. Why do you think? Why do you, honestly, why do you think they didn't? Answer your own question. Why didn't they do it? I'm sure you can figure it out. There is no bigger fan of this team than Brian Gutekunst. There is nobody that wants this team to succeed more than the man whose entire livelihood is on the line, whether or not this, your livelihood is not on the line. If we win zero games next year, you don't lose a single dollar of your paycheck. This man's entire livelihood is on doing what what is best for this team. 
So answer the question, why didn't he take a wide receiver? Do you think he doesn't know the value of, of an edge rusher? He could have taken, he could have taken Karloftis. Why didn't he do it? Don't you know that edge rusher is more valuable than linebacker? Of course he does. This, this is the easiest question in the world to answer, and yet nobody will just accept the answer. The reason Brian Gutekunst took Quay Walker as their first pick is because Brian Gutekunst believes Quay Walker was the best pick available in the entire draft. Of all the guys that we picked, of all the hundreds of players that were taken after Quay Walker, he looked at Quay Walker and said, there is nobody on the entire planet, at least in terms of guys that are draft eligible, that is going to help our team win football games, and win a Super Bowl than Quay Walker, linebacker out of Georgia? That is the answer to the question. So we don't have to worry about these things or nitpick or anything else. We don't know the answer, and so we get the total and complete freedom to react to this however we want, because our information of what's going to happen is literally zero. If I asked you, because you, you, you can sit there and argue with, no, no, I know that was a bad pick, or I know this is a good pick. Would you bet $1,000 on any one of these picks as far as their success or failure? Would you bet $1,000? I bet you wouldn't. Some of you have a lot of money and are, are degenerate, so maybe you would, but uh, uh, pick a different dollar amount that would be painful for you. Would you do it? Would you put up your house? Of course not. You have no idea, and you know it. If you've ever watched football, you completely understand how wildly inaccurate everything is. And the great thing is, and I've said this before, the, the off-season is a time for optimism. This is a time to get excited. This is a time to, to be all in. And, and the reason I, I kind of tied in the whole Darnell Savage thing is because the reason why you would argue, well, no, 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 it's not Darnell Savage because um, I think he's going to have a great year this year. I mean, you, you, you don't know anything about 2022. Maybe he's going to be great. Namus is going to be bad. You're right. You're right. Maybe Amos falls off a cliff and Savage doesn't get better and, and Campbell falls completely off a cliff and Stokes doesn't get better and Jair doesn't go back to his 2019 version. He stays at like that 70 overall grade and maybe Rashawn Gary peaked and he falls off and Preston Smith goes back to his kind of not very good at football days and Kenny Clark stays kind of a middling defensive tackle and our, def- and our draft picks are completely useless and Jerron Reed is still a bum and this defense is just bad, maybe. Or maybe Jair does get back to 2019. Maybe Rashawn continues to get better. Maybe Campbell stays a really good linebacker because this scheme fits him. Maybe Amos stays as good as he is because he's been one of the most consistently dominant safeties in all of football. And maybe Savage does take a step in year two. And maybe Jerron Reed does find more success here, especially considering the amount of help he has with Kenny Clark being next to him and Devontae Wyatt on the side of him. Maybe Preston Smith does stay relatively high up. Maybe Quay Walker does succeed in a system in which he only has to do, just like Devondre Campbell, just be a linebacker. Just just see, chase, tackle. That's it. Maybe Stokes does take a second-year leap, as does Darnell Savage. And maybe this is the best defensive team that we've had since the last two times we won Super Bowls. The point is, a lot of people are very excited right now. And it's very easy, and I, and I understand it because I'm that guy. It's very easy to look at people getting all geeked out about, oh boy. Zach Tom's going to be so good. He's a fourth round pick. Calm down. Romeo Dobbs, a fourth round wide. Oh yeah, I'm sure he's going to be the next great wide receiver. You freaking dummy. Kingsley Enigbari is going to be so good. He was taken in the sixth round. If he was any good, he would have gone in the first round. Come on. He didn't even go in the second round, third round, fourth round, fifth round. And you're telling me that, give me a break. And if you're rooting for any seventh round pick, you're a moron. And yeah, Sean Ryan's going to be so good. Our, our second round center last year wasn't even any good. But yeah, our third round guard. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Christian Watson, NDSU, yeah, right. 
it's easy to have that kind of like recoil reaction of like, dude, you need to chill. Like, have you ever watched football? What do you think you're going to have seven hits in the draft? That never happens. But the point is nobody has information. And so you have complete and total freedom to choose how you react to each and every one of these picks. None of these guys are going to play a single snap for months. And you can choose to be pessimistic or you can choose to be optimistic. Or you can choose to be realistic, right? I know somebody out there listening said that I choose to be realistic. That's a good line. But what is realistic? On a player-to-player basis, what's realistic? What is realistic about Quay Walker? What is your realistic expectation? You don't know. So again, fan how you want to fan, but my personal preference at this stage of the game is to completely understand how all this works and to completely understand out of the, however, what do we, what do we end up with 11? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Yeah, we ended up with 11. We traded up and then we traded back at an additional pick. We got 11. A, an elite draft out of 11 would be what? Four hits? Depending on what hit means, maybe five. I don't know. But we don't know who it is, do we? And so with each and every one of these prospects, although we can still be realistic, and although we, we can still seem, we can still be intelligent and be realistic, we can still have the ability to be excited. We can love seeing guys like Tariq Carpenter, who are just big, massive human beings who, who grew up Packer fans that got drafted by the Packers. We can get excited for him and for us and to know that maybe, just maybe, this guy's going to actually be really good for us. Even if he's just one of those guys that in 10 years we look back and be like, dude, remember that Tariq Carpenter? That was like the best special teamer we've ever had. That guy was a freak. Like He couldn't do jack as a linebacker slash safety, but man, was he a good special teamer. Like, like Hall of Fame special teamer, if that was a thing. <laughs> Elite gunner. And that's, that's just, that's my preference. I'm, I'm excited, and I'm, I'm excited about being excited. And, and yes, I, I, I know everything that you know. I do. I, believe me, I understand the odds, and I understand positional value, and I understand the age thing is a problem, and I understand some of these guys with injury issues and character issues. I know all of that. Everybody knows all of that. So what? I also know that any, any one of these guys has the ability to be dominant. And I can provide examples. Would you like examples? I don't think I need to provide first-round examples, do I? First-round linebackers that have found success. Have you ever heard of, I don't know, Micah Parsons, Luke Keekley? I mean, it's, it's not hard to find first-round examples. First-round uh, defensive tackles. How about Kenny Clark? Second-round wide receivers. Do I really need to provide examples to you of successful second-round wide receivers? If you're a Packer fan and can't think of a single second-round successful wide receiver, I have to assume you're new here. When have we ever gotten a third-round offensive lineman that's worked out? I don't know, Earl Dotson? Is that good enough? Super Bowl champion? You ever heard of Marshall Yonda? One of the literal best offensive linemen, you know, kind of ever. (laughs) How about Richie Incognito? Teron Armstead? Joe Thune? How about Orlando Brown? Fourth round guys, fourth round offensive linemen, do I really need to do this? <laughs> Josh Sitton and David Bakhtiari, how about Jerry Kramer? How about TJ Lang, JC Treader? Zach Tom is my guy, and if, if, if he doesn't end up, if he, ends, if he does end up Josh Sitton, I'm not going to be surprised. I mean, I will, but I, I'm, I, I will act like I'm not. This is where we nail offensive linemen and Zach Tom fell into our lap in the fourth round, dude, get out of my face. Yeah, but when have we ever hit on a wide receiver in the fourth round? I don't know. We haven't really drafted wide receivers in the fourth round. But yeah, we probably haven't. Jamon Moore wasn't exactly a, a, a hit out of the park. Last time we really did anything that was anything, maybe uh, Walter Stanley in the 80s. But again, I can only find like a handful of guys we've ever taken at wide receiver in the fourth round. But that doesn't mean there's not good wide receivers. Jamison Crowder, Travis Benjamin, Martavis Bryant, Dee Westbrook. Or how about Amon Ross St. Brown, the absolute 
Detroit Lion phenom. How about, oh, I don't know, Andre Reed? In fact, I let's let's read off Hall of Famers. Paul Warfield, Steve Largent, Andre Reed, Charlie Joyner, Cliff Branch, John Stallworth, Hall of Famers. Brandon Marshall was a fourth round pick. Now again, I understand this isn't the 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 majority, but all I'm really doing is trying to dispel the idea that we got first round is where you hit, second round is kind of a maybe, and after that, you're kind of just finding garbage. If you choose to be excited about the potential of what these guys can do, you have every right to. And I'm giving you permission right now with this last and final segment of the show. I'm giving you permission to get excited about the guys that we have by reading off lists of Hall of Famers taken at this position in this round. Pass rushers. A lot of the best ones are from the 60s, 70s, and 80s, so it's no point reading it because nobody's going to be impressed. But how about Greg Hardy, a.k.a. the Kraken, the Kraken, whatever you pronounce that stupid thing. Multiple double-digit sack seasons. 2013 Pro Bowler. If you're okay with a little bit of history, how about Joe Klecko? 20 and a half sacks in 1981. Pro Bowls in 81, 83, 84, 85. Doug Betters, 64 and a half sacks in his career. On somebody a little bit more recent, Michael Sinclair. Started in 92, but played all the way through 2002. Had 13 sacks in 96, 12 sacks in 97, 16 and a half sacks, led the entire NFL in 1998. Are the odds high? No. And again, I'm just reading the best of the best. Nobody's even asking for that. I can find probably dozens of guys that are great role players, situational pass rushers. But do you have the right to be excited about his upside and his potential? And if there's a six-round pass rusher that, that could possibly have this kind of a ceiling, is it him? Yes, it is. You know, safeties. Again, I, I think he's at best probably just a, a solid special team. But we still have guys like Larry Wilson, who is in the Hall of Fame. Granted, that's 1960 back when they had 500 rounds, but still, he's in the Hall of Fame. He's a seventh-round defensive back. If you want, again, if you want more recent, Brock Marion from 93 to 2004. Seventh-round pick, pick 196 in 1993. 31 interceptions, three touchdowns, 49 pass deflections, seven forced fumbles, seven fumble recoveries, two sacks, 912 tackles in his career, seven tackles for a loss, seventh-round safety. Cortland Finnegan, that name ring a bell? Seventh round safety, pick 215. Gene Atkins, Jordan Poyer. Jordan Poyer is a solid player. And the point is, a lot of these guys that I'm reading, the expectation is maybe he can play on special teams. I already went through some seventh round defensive tackles that I like, but another Green Bay Packer, Lawrence Guy. Didn't play for us, but he was drafted by us. Ended his career with 15 sacks, 523 tackles, 58 quarterback hits, six fumble recoveries. Guy played in the NFL for 12 years. In fact, I believe he's still in the NFL. His last year, he played uh, for New England. He's 31 years old right now. Played and started 17 games. Lawrence Guy, currently a starting defensive tackle for the Patriots. Or at least he was last year. I don't know what he's doing this year. But again, drafted by the Packers in the seventh round. What were our expectations when we drafted him? Probably not very high, and then we ended up cutting him. Seventh round tackles. Obviously, that's a waste of time. You got to get him in the first round or it doesn't count, aside from Hall of Famer Rayfield Wright. Or, I don't know, if you're looking for something a little more recent, a little more Packery, how about Mark Tauscher? How about Kelvin Beecham? How about Charles Leno? Seventh-round tackles. I mean, there's actually a pretty heavy precedent of solid seventh-round tackles. I stand by first-rounder bust, largely. But you get a guy that clearly has some dominant traits that maybe scared some people, so he slid. I mean, Charles Leno, that dude is good. Mark Tauscher, that dude was good. Jordan Mailata, Philadelphia. Then finally, wide receiver. Again, as Packer fans, I don't think I have to explain to you 
Um, some options. Donald Driver should come immediately to mind. There's two Hall of Famers, Bobby Mitchell and Harold Carmichael in the Hall of Fame. How about uh, Marquise Colston? How about Julian Edelman? How about TJ Hushmanzada? And I'm just reading off recent guys that, that people like me would know. I'm skipping over everybody else, aside from the Hall of Famers. Eric Martin, Jack Snow, Bob Chandler, Michael Haynes is kind of recent. That was 90s. Paul Flatley, Freddie Scott, Dick Gordon. So, again, if it's up to me, and it is because it's, I control what I can do, I'm going to choose to be excited about these guys. I'm going to choose to be excited about the draft class. I'm going to choose to be excited about the future of the team. I'm going to choose to be excited about the, the future of this defense in particular, which, by the way, hilariously, we went defense, defense, and everybody had a panic attack. After that, we went offense, 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 defense, 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 offense, offense. Our next four picks were on offense. Then we got Kingsley Enigbare, Tariq Carpenter, Jonathan Ford, and then finished it off with another offensive lineman and another wide receiver. But as, as somebody pointed out on Twitter earlier, despite all the optimism about all these offensive pieces we got, what we should really be excited about is the defense. And as I've pointed this out before, not only does defense still win championships, but if you look at the last few times we've won Super Bowls, there is a much higher correlation between us having really good defenses and winning Super Bowls and really good offenses. If you rank our best offenses, I mean, you know, our Super Bowls are in there. But if you rank our defenses, it's like Super Bowl, Super Bowl, missed Super Bowl. Like three out of the four top defenses the Packers have ever had ended in Super Bowls. The thing that should get us the most excited is if we can have a top defense, I think we win a Super Bowl, period. Well, we had a great defense and we still lost. I get it. I'm just telling you, we didn't have the best defense in the world last year. I think uh, as far as points allowed or whatever, we were like 13th and our DVOA was not very high. I'm just telling you, if we end up with a dominant, dominant, elite, top three, top two, top one defense, there is a high, high correlation between that and a Super Bowl caliber team. That's not what we were last year, despite the fact that we had a good game and still lost. As much as I've been banging the table for we need offensive line, and we do, if you're talking about win a Super Bowl, I think defense is the most important thing. Second most important, get an offensive line because that keeps crushing us at the end of the day. We did both. We did both. We started the day with, with getting this defense finely tuned, and we ended with three wide receivers and three tackles. Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs, Samori Toure, Sean Ryan, Zach Tom, Rashid Walker. Six players that were offensive line and wide receivers came after our first two defensive picks. In fact, the other three were defensive picks. We did nothing but wide receiver and offensive line, which is perfect, in my opinion. There's nothing we missed. The only thing I could say is, is I, you know, I was talking about tight end. But here's the thing. I, I, you know, when you look at it and, and say, what was it I was saying before? You, you get a good defense, and then the offensive strategy is we shift away from this dominant number one wide receiver to a, a team that is run the ball, Get these offensive line, uh, the, 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 the offensive line built up and the, the, the tight ends on the line, and you draw the defense in. Because if you don't want to do that, if you don't want to bring in an extra linebacker and, and come up close to the line of scrimmage, we will destroy you. And the purpose of that is once we get you up, we throw over your head. And, and really, we can attack at all layers of the field, right? We, we can not only run the ball, but we can throw to our wide receivers at the line of scrimmage. We can you do the end around, jet sweep, et cetera, et cetera. All this at the line of, the scrim, line of scrimmage action. We can also attack you deep with our deep threat, which again, the Packers said they really wanted. And Christian Watson is that guy. At the, again, at the very least, day one, he's MBS. So we have that. And my thought was it would just be nice to kind of get that, that middle target, which you can do with wide receivers, but get that tight end that can really attack the linebacker. 
But here's the other thought. Maybe it's not that we don't have good enough linebackers. Maybe we have linebackers. We just need the other stuff so that we can accentuate the linebackers. We need the deep threat. We need the, the offensive line and the, the everything else kind of in place so that, well, let, let, let's look at it this way. When we got Quay Walker, what did we do? We allowed ourselves to be able to play with linebackers on the field rather than either bringing in a bad linebacker that is athletic and can cover so that we get gashed on the ground or keeping a linebacker in there who can't cover and we get gashed by tight end. You get a guy that can do both and you take that away. We are now in a position with a, presumably with a better offensive line that can run the ball, you have to keep your linebackers in. Whereas before they didn't. They can play nickel, they can play dime. And so what, what good is our linebackers if, if they're attacking coverage guys, trying to run and beat safeties, they're not doing it. But if we're forcing you to stay big and stay strong, because that's what we are, and if you don't, we will just literally bulldoze you. We will road grade right over your face. You will be buried. You have to be big and strong. I mean, that, that Cardinals game was so much fun to watch because the Cardinals are like the new age, right? We're, we're the smaller, faster, we can cover, cover, cover. And we just said, fine, we're not going to try to beat you. We're not going to try to outrun you. We're going to run through you. And we did, and it was beautiful. And now we're going to do that to everybody. Because once again, we got bigger, we got stronger. We also got faster somehow, but we got bigger and we got stronger. And we're already a really big, really strong team. And so we're going to come out and we're going to smash into you. And you're going to have to stop it. And we won't stop until you stop us. And in order to do that, they're going to have to pull some of their speed off the field and bring in some bull. Your bigger defensive tackle, your bigger guys on the edge, your bigger linebackers, that's when the linebackers can do their damage. Or that's when the, our tight ends can do their damage. So, so I, I guess that was sort of a, another epiphany. It's not that we need better linebackers. We need a, better opportunities to utilize our linebackers. And we do that by strengthening everybody else. And that's one of the beautiful things about this draft class. Again, you look at guys like Quay Walker. It's not about what he personally can do. It's about how he's going to help everybody else. We don't have to come out in a new formation just to protect against the weakness we have at linebacker, which hurts everything else. No, no, no. We can stay strong because this guy can handle it. We can stay in nickel. We can stay in base because we're not worried about him being a liability. And by staying in a strong personnel, we don't have to pull our other strong guys off the field. We stay in the formation we want to stay in and we can attack. And we know that we can trust Quay to hold his responsibility. We don't need to protect a weak linebacker. He's got it. He can do the job. And so now we can attack how we want to attack. Again, Christian Watson, same thing. Everybody's looking at, is he going to be the next Devante? That's, that's an unfair, unreasonable expectation. What he is, is a guy that, like MVS, even if he doesn't catch a single pass, he's going to threaten the defense. We're going to dare you to not build up against the line of scrimmage, but we're also going to dare you to not stay back and watch out for Christian Watson. You're going to have to do both. This guy's going to be trying to run behind you all day, and you're going to have to watch out for that. But at the same time, you simultaneously have to find a way to stop what we're doing up here. And if you keep your safeties back and you keep your linebackers up, you know, the Randall Cobbs, the Romeo Dobbs, the Amari Rogers, the Mercedes Lewis, tight ends in general, the running back, we attack the middle of the field. Alan Lazard. We, bottom line, we force you to cover a lot of ground. That's the, that's the point. Spread it out. If you're so one-dimensional, we can kind of just compress where we're covering and there's nothing you can do. But if we force you to spread out, first of all, the, the, the style of offense, the, the West Coast offense, the whole point initially is spread out laterally. You have to cover from sideline to sideline. And that, that, the, the whole premise of that is forcing you to have a linebacker that's smaller and faster. He has to be able to chase to the sideline. He has to be able to get lateral. You, you can't use big, strong, fat defensive tackles because you got to get up on your horse and get moving side to side. So the whole benefit of that is we, we've taken away these big, dominant, strong defensive pieces. 
and we're forcing you to get smaller and lighter. And then we bulk up and get bigger and stronger. And now you got, now what do you do? So it's just this constant evolution. But at its core, Matt LaFleur wants to stress you, wants to say you, you have to be big, but you also have to be fast. You have to cover in the middle of the field, but you better cover the boundary of the field. You better cover up close, but you also better make sure you stay back. It's, it's forcing you to be in, in, in an impossible situation to where essentially you're guessing. And yes, again, it does stink to not have a guy like Devontae that, that just beats whoever's in front of him. In fact, you double him and you're, we're still going to beat you. But at the end of the day, it really comes down to the, the scheme and the philosophy of the offense. Can we execute it at its purest form? And I think we can with what we have. We don't have elite tight ends, but we have guys that can do what we need them to do to execute the offense that Matt LaFleur wants to run. We have the speed. We have the size. We have everything we need to get it done. And at the end of the day, it really comes down to having a really intelligent, really talented quarterback to execute this thing. And he can. And again, on top of all that, we're all missing the biggest piece, the biggest component of this whole thing. The biggest number one component that's going to help us win a Super Bowl is the fact that this is one of the scariest group of defenders the Packers have had in a very long time. That's it for me today. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.